Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome back to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. So, Ann, I ask you every time, how you doing? Don't say great. I know. I always say I'm great. I always feel like I'm great. I'm pretty optimistic. Well, you look great. But I am mad at you, though. Why are you mad? No, I heard that you might have recorded a podcast without me. That's accurate. We did. Yeah. So. We actually waited for you to leave. And <laughs> then we did. <laughs> That's even better. Well, I know we had a special guest in town, and he was only in town for a short, short amount of time. Um friend of ours, Dan Bishop, was here from Texas, and he was uh, speaking to a room full of employers, and he had some time to come by and share some of his thoughts on the podcast, and I couldn't be here. Well, actually, yeah, you're right. So he spoke to all our employers. We came back, gave him a tour, and he saw the side effects booth, the sound booth. He wanted a little piece of this, didn't he? And we said, uh, hey, why don't you just take a seat? And so Mike and I and Dan spent about 30 minutes talking about the symposium and how we provoke people to think differently. And, and you're right. So you were out of town. You were in Columbus. Right. So, so. you know, I've learned being married for almost 30 years now, there, there's three things you need to say to women. Um, and the first one is, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I love you like a friend, not like a <laughs> wife. So... I'm sorry. I was wrong. Okay. All right. Fair? It's good. We can continue. Good so deal. this was going to be maybe my show today, and we were going to excuse you for, well, an, can emer- be for an emergency, but we'll, we'll stick with it. So, and um, you are a grandpa, right? Your daughter had her baby? Yeah, that's a hard word to just get inside so, your... It's like gravel. What are they going to call it. you? Grandpa? Gramps? You know, honestly, I don't care. So Brandon? I really, whatever comes out of that little guy, his name's Jackson Patrick. Uh, and, you know, I left the hospital. I came back here and everyone said, how much did he weigh? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he's just a little guy. How long was he? I don't know. So he's seven pounds, 10 ounces and 20 and a half inches oh, long. Oh, he's big. And uh, I think it might be Papa G. Okay. Yeah. Papa G would be kind of cool. All right. So I don't, I, I really don't know. And I honestly don't care. It could be grandfather i doubt it could be grandpa i don't know gramps poppy and there's just a number of things floating out there there's a lot of different words if you have a name that you call your grandfather you can send it to us at ann at healthierbirthdays.com or scott at healthierbirthdays.com we'd like your vote on what your grandkids call you now my wife's gg for sure emphatically there's that's it I mean, there's no grandma in, in her <laughs> vocabulary. It's Gigi. Yeah. So that poor little guy better have his G's down that's for cute. sure. Yeah. Too cute. Well, that's really great. Congratulations. Well, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about, so we're getting completely off the subject. We're going from um, just having a guest on to being a grandfather. Is um, What we wanted to talk about today was the difference between reporting and data analytics. So, and your feet are on the ground all the time. So can you just like unpack uh, reporting for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we've been doing reporting since there's been health plans, since we've been able to get information and we call it data, 
but it's old data and it's historical data. So the carriers do reporting. You might like the reports, you might not. Brokers do reporting. We take that data and boil it down into something that's a little more user-friendly. Instead of 100 pages, maybe it's a four-page management report. But reporting is typically telling you what's already happened. And with basic reporting or carrier reporting, it's very difficult to tell you what's going to happen. For one, the reports are financial. And there's financial reporting and there's clinical reporting. And we're looking at financial reports typically in this industry. What we get is just an accounting of these claims came in, here was the discount, here's what you paid. Yeah. So at the end of the day, reporting what we would do is just unpack, like you said, all this, those of you that are maybe as old as I am and maybe a grandpa, remember green bar paper. So you would just unpack stacks of green bar paper. And what you would do is build a report that would really validate what you predicted your claim cost to be. So it's all retrospective. This is what we thought. This is what happened. This is where people went. This is how much they paid in claims. Here's your disease state. One of the things, too, that reporting um, does is it does identify some disease states globally. So it might be hey, you have an issue with high cholesterol, or you have an issue with asthma, or you have an issue with heart disease. But what, is it, what it doesn't identify is who has that problem. So one of the things that McGowan Brave and that we spent about 24 months vetting was data analytics. We're in this world of big data. So what is big data, and why is that important to our customers, our clients, our people, and ultimately our vision of empowering business, empowering people, empowering healthier living. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about big data and if you Google that or you look in the newspaper or any trade publication, you're going to see some staggering statistics about the amount of data that's been produced over the last few years. And really, when people say, I feel like there's so much more information, I feel like everything's moving so much quicker. It, it is. It is. Because a majority of today's data has been produced just in the last few years. It's being able to aggregate that and then resort it out and do something with it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are even nervous about big data, right? And, and Is it data or data? I mean, I think it's both. It's potato. A potato. That's okay. exactly what it is. Right. It's potato. It's big potato data. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, what, what I do think is what big data does for us is, is it causes us to be curious. I think curiosity is the greatest trait on the face of the earth. Yeah, it's the only thing that keeps me uh, with my job here, right? I'm kind of with you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I ask a lot of questions. Yeah, and, and curiosity. And what, what big data begins to do is it begins to lift up answers to really, really big questions. Right. And the biggest question employers have is, how much is this going to cost me next year? Right. And our reference point in reporting was, well, this is what happened last right. year. Here's Healthcare <laughs> trend is 12%. So we're estimating your cost to be X. Right. And that's just a mathematical formula. It is. It's not a good way to predict your future cost. No. It's like it's like uh, weather. Right. Which is pretty much wrong every yeah, I'm day. I'm not picking on weather people, but that's a good gig. It's I awesome. I think it's going to rain. Right. There's a possibility of showers. <laughs> and then it right? could be sunny. Exactly. <laughs> so so we spent a lot of time unpacking data analytics, a variety of different companies. Uh, I think there was about four, four or five of them that we put on a shelf and said, let's vet each and every one of these. 
So a lot of the criteria we, we looked at is obviously sustainability, uh, the size of the organization, profitability of the organization, uh, help desk. Uh, and then one of the things that we, we, we were very curious about was, is this technology something that we can teach our people? Knowledge and communication is one of our values. So can we bake this, this knowledge into our people's heads so they can have those conversations with right. their clients. And, you know, all those things you mentioned in the beginning, you use this this phrase often, but I'm going to use it now, is that's all table stakes, right? Is the company um, financially sound? Do they have a great product? Can they support it? I mean, that's a, that's a given. We expect that. But but what could be different about this tool? Can we understand it? Can we use it? And can our clients use it? Is it valuable to them? Right, which gives me really two points of what was really important to us. Number one is that a lot of the data analytics um, systems that are out there today need a medical director to interpret the data. Right. Which means only one belly button can have the conversation. Right. That, and and a medical director um, is it, subjective. Correct. Right? We know it's subjective because we're people. And as knowledgeable and as skilled and as educated as they are, it's still an opinion. Exactly. The second criteria was we wanted a resource and a tool that our clients could drive. We hand them the keys and say, here's all the information. Do you want to drive it? Now, most of our accounts have said, no, we trust you with that information. I'm not sure we want that information uh, under our rooftop. We get that. We understand it. We have experts here internally that can drive that and communicate that. Right. But some employers want to cut their own reports. They want to see their data in different ways. And it's all HIPAA compliant. The members aren't identified. But they want to just go in and say, hey, show me how many people have claims between this amount and this amount. Show me everyone that started on January 4th, 2013 until now and how they've performed. So they want to be able to get their information. They want to be able to query it. They've been able to do it with other parts of their company. They just haven't been able to do it to date with their medical claims information. Exactly. So we unpacked, we have 37,000 employees in our data analytics um, silo of information. That's about 80,000 belly buttons if you include moms and dads and children and about $400 million of healthcare spend. So it's a big silo of information, big. Uh, we're not talking just about a few people. So we went back three years and said, hey, are we making a difference with this population? So empowering business, empowering people, empowering healthier living. Are we making a significant difference? So in 2013, 39% of our people inside of the silo had a below average of risk score. So if the risk score is, if you're average, if you're a one, then 39% of that population had a below average risk score. Meaning they were less healthy meaning they were healthier, they were healthier. Okay. than the rest of the population. Okay. So a below average risk score. 2015, 53% of the population had a below average risk score. That's a significant lift right. in reducing risk inside of employers, which means we are empowering business and empowering people with choices. Right. And so what Scott just said is important because looking at information at one point in time certainly tells us something. But looking at information over a period of time and being able to see a trend tells us something much different. So being able to look at that same population year after year after year starts to give us statistically significant information that's actual versus just one point in time. Yeah, one of the things we don't want to – I mean, I'm captain optimistic. I have a cape in my office. 
we're unpacking this data and I've got people like you, people like Mike Sutman, people like other people in the organization, like, hey, well, like, hold on, let's make sure what you're saying is accurate and it's credible. So Mike had said his son had the science project, the scientific method. Like Mike said, hey, make sure you're following the scientific method as you're unpacking the information. Dave's standing here in front of us. We probably spent at least 90 days unpacking that information, our data analytics expert. One of the things that we did want to do is find out, hey, our groups that are fully engaged, groups that pushed all the chips on the table and said we're tired of playing with house money, we're playing with our, with our own, is there a correlation between groups that are engaged and groups that are not engaged? And what we found is there's a huge correlation. So groups at a level four and five, and if you're interested, we can put their criteria out on healthierbirthdays.com around groups that are at level four, level five, EHL, characteristics of what those groups might offer. But they were, aver- they were able to reduce their risk score by over 12%, significant reduction in risk. Now you say, okay, I reduce risk. What does that do to my cost? Right. And so one of the things that Scott talked about just a minute ago that we didn't continue on is the difference with the system that we are looking at the data in versus some of the others. So we our system doesn't require a medical director. It's a clinical system that uses the John Hopkins model in terms of predicting future clinical cost. So there's there, there's a difference between looking at financial reports and clinical reports. And it's Johns Hopkins Sorry about that. Um, and so being able to look out and say, okay, you have this claim. It, they, this claimant spent $1,000 last year, but we can see through the clinical data that this claimant's going to spend 50000 next year. There's no mathematical formula that accounts for that. But when we add together the financial reporting along with the clinical data, that's where we can start to say, what is your future cost going to be? So back to Scott's point on reducing the overall risk score, when we reduce those risk scores, we reduce the future liability and the future expense that that employer is going to have in ensuring that population into the future. You're exactly right, Anne. And one of the things that, I, that we love about this is, for example, if you had somebody that $100,000 claim, Anthem, United, Cigna, and they all do this. They leave that $100,000 claim in your experience, and they apply a healthcare trend to it. Right. So predictive modeling would say, hey, that person had $100,000 of claims, but their prediction's only $1,500. Right. Maybe they're well now. Maybe yeah. their episode is over. Correct. So we can identify people that are, have low claims but have a very high risk score, and those people that have high claims that have reduced those uh, risk score. Right. And so what we know is that not just from our data, not just what McGowan Braybender has in this platform, but from millions and millions of data points that are inside of this platform, that lower risk scores equate to lower claims over and over and over. Well, and the study came out and said groups at level four and level five spend on average $8,600 per employee per year. Now, what does that mean? The national average today for employers for health care co- benefit cost is $11,400. That's where everybody sits. Now, obviously, there's groups that pay more than that. There's groups that pay less than that. But what we've seen is if you're fully engaged in mitigating risk, the group in that equation, level four, level five EHL, spent $8,600 per employee per year. Right. Big, big spread. It's a significant amount of cost savings. Significant. So that equates to about $142 per member per month 
or $1,711 per member per year, three-year average cost savings. And don't you think, I mean, a lot of employers that are doing this too, they're doing it more than for just an ROI. So what's my return? I mean, they see the big picture. They see a reduction in absenteeism, uh, presenteeism, and also an increase in productivity. You talk to them all the time. Right. Lower disability claims. I mean, they really, these employers, they want their employees to come to work and be happy and be healthy. And they want them to go home at the end of the day and have energy for their family and whatever else it is that they want to do when they're not working. So it's it's not that they don't care about their employees and their health. They do. I mean, they care about their bottom line. They need to keep the doors open. They need to offer a competitive wage. They need to offer a competitive health plan. But they do care about the health status of their employee population, and they want them to be productive outside of the outside of the office or outside of their job site as well as when they come come to work. Yeah, a lot of employers have big gigantic hearts. And I'm not sure they get much credit in that area. Right. No. Uh, because you know, capitalism, entrepreneurship doesn't really ex- it expose that. But a lot of empl- like they really care about. Now there's some that don't. Right. Without a doubt. And they right. And the few that mm. that are out there like that, I think give give everybody else who's who's a business owner or an entrepreneur or senior leader in a company um, they can give them a, a bad name. But I think that for the most part, our employers in this Ohio region care about their employee population. So the next step of this is what one of the things that the conclusion told us, the study we did, came out and said that, and it really surprised us, is our ability with data analytics and groups that are fully engaged allowed us to discover disease at a faster pace than groups that weren't as engaged. And that was a big deal because in life, we believe we manage what we measure. So if we're, we've got a group like biometric screenings uh, trying to get uh, an attribution rate for primary care physicians lifted up, uh, outcomes-based health care, all of those components put together. Uh, because it's just not all McGowan and Braybender. There's hospitals involved. There's doctors involved. There's other strategies we have, other partners. It's just not all, all us. It's a combination of all those. But we were able to find asthmatics 17% faster, diabetics 31% faster, people with high cholesterol 47% faster, hypertension 31% faster. So we can discover disease at a faster pace. Right. And if you've looked at any any of the studies that are out there, and we have some statistics we can put out there on our healthierbirthdays.com on what it costs to treat certain disease states when you find them in the beginning uh, when they're starting versus when they've already matured or had a chance to get worse, the cost of those treatments is significantly less when it's discovered in the early stages than if you wait or if the member waits before going to the doctor or before really discovering what's going on. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, that kind of jumped off of the page for us is prescription drug compliance is really a big deal. For those of you that are paying for healthcare, seventy-five cents a healthcare dollar is something we've cloaked under this term, chronic disease. So half of that is lifestyle-based, which is a problem. I'd rather just call it what it really is. That's just self-created disease. But the majority of those people with a complex chronic condition consume ninety-six percent of your drug cost. Ninety-six. Half of those people don't take their prescriptions as prescribed, and some don't take them at all. Right. Big cost consideration. And you know what? I'm going to tell a personal story real quick now. So everyone who listens knows I have twins. They had their 14th birthday in April. And so I took them to the doctor like I do every year for their annual checkup. 
And during this annual checkup, the doctor asked my asthmatic son to complete a questionnaire, and I had to complete one, too. She made me leave the room, so we didn't do it together. So when she came back in, she looked at both of them, she scored them, and she said, you know, I want to do a pulmonary function test while you're here. He's had it done many times at the specialist, but I didn't know they could do it at the primary care. And so he did it, gladly. And when she came back in and looked at it, she said, did you do anything today, Zach? And he said, no. In fact, he hadn't even gone to school because on top of that, he has a broken arm. So we had just come from the, the doctor for that. And she said, you know, you need to take your controller medication. Are you taking it every day? And he looked at, she looked at me and I shook my head and I said, no. And he said, I, I don't take it every day because I feel fine. And she said, yeah, you took it long enough until you felt fine. Then you stopped taking it. She said, and you have asthma every day. Not exercise-induced, not induced by a cold or your allergies every day. And you're 14. And if you don't control it, you're ruining your lungs. And you're at a much higher risk for COPD. Do you know what that means? And he doesn't want to take that controller medicine. They and I don't want to fight with him about, about it. They about diabetics. Yeah. They hear three words all the time. I feel fine. Right. And I'm dealing that with, in my life personally with somebody I really care about that have, hasn't taken care of themselves. So inside of data analytics, we also found that those people that were more engaged, we could discover disease, because initially we thought maybe we were sicker. And then we get in these big excuses like, well, we're an old General Motors town. Right. So rich benefits, fully employed benefits, uh, 100% drug coverage. Uh, the severity of diseases in Dayton is worse because of the, they're just really good excuses. The data began to tell us that we were just a lot more effective in discovering disease. And when we discover disease, we can manage the disease. Because with diabetics, we were able to actually lift up compliance for di diabetics at 64.5% versus the national average at 34%. And then looking at asthma, so our groups that are fully deployed and fully engaged had a, had a prescription drug compliance of 93.6% versus the national average of 50%. Right. Almost double. I believe that. And I mean, I, I tell that story because I'm an educated consumer. I'm a healthcare broker. And you're a good a mom. Consultant. Yeah, I care about my kids. And, and, and you know, we are one of those statistics. So, But doesn't that make sense even for your son when your son's like, hey, mom, I'm just going to take this prescription when I feel bad. Right. When I feel fine, I don't need it. Right. And what a great doctor that would explain to your son, like, you're hurting your body. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so when she said COPD to me, I've seen that disease. Then I explained it to my son. He's taking that every day. Every day. So one of the things that we're really, really proud of is, uh, and we'll put this white paper out on healthierbirthdays.com, uh, is the fact that we had 37,000 members. 80,000 belly buttons, 400 million in healthcare spend. And the conclusion was, is that we can create less risk uh, inside of groups, those groups that have decided to, to go all in. We can discover disease faster. We can lift up prescription drug adherence. And for the biggest like impact of that, employers that are fully deployed saved $2.2 million last year, those groups. If the whole pool jumped into the deep end, which is very unlikely, and the statistics were the same, which is even more unlikely. We could have saved our communities, Dayton, Cincinnati, and Columbus, $163 million. That's a huge lift to the economy. That, 
I mean, I think most employers would just like to have a fraction of that. Just yeah, so like half. Something. Can we just directionally start how, to How about move? if we just did 10%? Yeah. I mean, $16 million to the economy. It's I mean, the deal. average income is $52,000 today, household. So you take $16 million and you, and, and you look at that, that's almost 500 jobs. Right. So the economic impact of disease is really a big deal. And we're really passionate about discovering disease so we can manage disease. Right. So we're not really big into reporting what happened yesterday. We still report. Right. You have to know what happened. Yeah. But looking at the data, seeing the story that it tells, and then building a plan around how to make an impact, and then measuring if that plan is making an impact, that's data analytics. And that's the power behind that information. Yeah, just think of reporting like driving your car through your rearview mirror. You just can't go forward very fast. Right. And data analytics is driving your health care plan through your windshield. Thanks for joining us on Side Effects. And you have a terrific day. Yep. Thanks, everybody. If you want to send us a note, Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. Or Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com. Or Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.